Hello, everyone. This is Jen Uphoff Gray with just a quick preface to the latest episode of Theater Forward. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded several weeks ago before the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which has changed our industry and our country, hopefully permanently. So what you're about to listen to does not engage with the issues that we are all really thinking about right now, but rest assured that upcoming episodes will. Thanks for listening. Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theatre writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Uphoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 34 of Theatre Forward. Hello. Oh. <laughs> so this week's conversation is about our gratitude for what right now we don't have in our lives. And most pertinently for this podcast, that means live theater productions. So we thought we would share each of our own top three most meaningful productions that we've seen in our lives. And also what plays are on our bucket list of the things we'd like to see in the future. Um, and very much are hoping that after listening to this, you will let us know what your own favorites and wishes are. So, Mike, would you like to get us started? I will. And with one that really captures, Jen, the heart of what you were just saying, um, which is in this art form in particular, which is ephemeral by definition, where every live performance is different from the one you see the night before or the night after. I think you appreciate even more, or I certainly do, what I'd like to think I never took for granted, but now I just miss even more terribly. And I'm thinking, damn, if I had just been a little less sleepy in that moment, a little paying more attention, a little bit more appreciative and grateful while I was there of what I had. And the production that I think probably more than any other made me feel that while I was in it uh, was the uh, uh, David Cromer directed Our Town. Um, which started in Chicago at Hypocrite's Theater before moving to Barrow Street Theater in Greenwich Village, which is where I saw it. And I was just, I was blown away by by what he did and what Cromer always does um, to scrape away the sort of nostalgic nonsense that accretes to these great classic plays over time. Um, lights up during the entire show, people wearing, there were no costumes, they were wearing clothes just like ours. Everything was done to make you feel that there was no uh, disconnect between the audience and you sitting in it. Um, and, uh, the, the, you know, Cromer as an actor in that production was as far as you could possibly get from avuncular and nostalgic. He was just straight on, matter of fact, and drove home what was at stake. And then in the third act, breaking with the tradition of how it's done, you had full props. So when Emily comes back from the dead, you have that fully realized popping moment, the bacon, you could actually smell it. They had bacon sizzling. It was, it was like, oh my God, every minute I'm living, I am living without a real sense of how much there is within it. Um, and boy, does that ring true for me right now. Oh, gorgeous. Julie, what's the, what's the first one on your list? Well, what an interesting exercise too. Um, I mean, for us, 
who have seen so much, not maybe as much as Mike, but a lot. Um, and I just had to kind of sit back and like, what's coming into my memory? And I will tell you, um, so many people have like that perfect, the, the first show they ever saw. Well, um, take you back. And I had to do a little investigating to find out what the actual year of this was, but it was 1969. My parents are arguing. Um, they're going to go see a play in Chicago. And my, and my mom screams, I'm not going. And my dad looks at little seven-year-old me and says, you want to go? And I said, okay. We went to the Waltz of the Toreadors at the Ivanhoe Theater in Chicago. And even as a kid, I thought, I don't, I don't really understand this play. But oh my God, just sitting there. And I was with my dad. And, and the, it was what captured me even more than the play was being with the people and coming and sitting down in my seat and opening up the program and then seeing the, you know, the people on stage. It, it truly is the, the moment. It wasn't the moment where I said, and this is what I want to do, but it was the moment when I said, this is a fantastic experience. And I didn't even understand the play. Because <laughs> the experience was so um, transformative. And I will remember that always. Oh, I love that. Um, right. Yeah, I took, a, I took a similar approach to, to yours, Julie. Um, not being a theater critic, uh, thinking about it in the same really um, uh, beautifully thought through way that Mike did, but more as someone who's just had theater be a part of my life for my whole life, what are the first three productions that came into my head as having really been meaningful experiences for me? And so um, I'll, I'll do them as we get to them in chronological order. And the first one that came into mind was in 1988. I spent a couple of months staying with my maternal grandparents who were living in Princeton, New Jersey at the time. And we went into the city almost every day for one show or ballet or opera or something or another. And my grandmother and I, um, we'd go to the TKTS booth in Times Square and we saw City of Angels, the Cy Coleman musical. And our tickets were way up. My grandmother used to call it up in God's country, the last <laughs> balcony um, of that show. And I just fell in love with that production. It was so witty and smart and colorful and the staging was so clever. And you know, the sort of wonderful postscript to that is I was, I was in love with the piece by Cy Coleman, and I was in love with the staging by Michael Blakemore before I even knew yet that I wanted to be a director. And less than 10 years later, I was the assistant director on a Broadway musical written by Cy Coleman and directed by Michael Blakemore. <laughs> and it was pretty, pardon my French, damn cool. <laughs> um, Mike, what's your number two? Well, because I have not been making theater like you have most awesome uh, director and artistic director. I don't have that kind of, uh, you know, from dream to reality kind of kind of experience. Um, but as a as a as a critic, I mean, and I guess somebody that that has thought about theater that way in a long time. 
sometimes things just bowl you over. And for me, and now I'm kind of cheating because this is not one play, but eight so far of a planned 10 play sequence, is Ron O.J. Parsons' direction at Court Theater of the August Wilson 10 play cycle, uh, which started with Fences in 2006. I was so excited walking out of there. I mean, Wilson was already a big part of my life, but what he did and what Ron always does is, is give a play the chance to breathe, uh, which is so counterintuitive to the moment that we're in right now, where things are getting shorter and shorter. And those Wilson arias need space and time so that you can really dig down deep into the pain that these characters feel. The ninth of those plays was going to be going up in the fall at court, I guess is currently still scheduled to be going up, um, two trains running. We'll see whether that happens. Um, but I went back and l I, I reviewed a few of these, and this is what I wrote in 2014 uh, when I reviewed uh, his production at court of seven guitars. I said, when I look back toward Journey's End at the thousands of plays I've seen, I've no doubt that among those I'll most cherish are the 10 play century cycle of August Wilson plays being directed by Ron O.J. Parson, one miraculous installment at a time at Court Theater in Chicago. Court's my favorite theater in Chicago for many reasons. That's a whole nother podcast, but one of them is this work and what it has meant to my understanding of one of the great playwrights of the 20th century. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Julie? Um, I'm kind of going through like the, the life of Julie Swenson. So now we go into the mid nineties and I have moved to Wisconsin and I knew the Milwaukee rap, of course. Um, but I thought, uh, what else is there? And I'm going to check out um, all, all the other opportunities. And I went to a performance at Theater X, which um, for people who don't know, um, was an experimental theater, one of the longest lasting experimental theaters in the country, right there in Milwaukee. And they did a performance of Good that still sticks with me. Um, a, I remember very clearly John Kishline as the main character. And, and I went away from that performance thinking, there's theater here. There's theater here in Milwaukee and I think I can make a life here. And that's what did it. And I was so, thrilled and it's not it's not a thrilling play it's not a feel good play <laughs> it was a theater x play right <laughs> but i certainly went out thinking um good that that there's there's some there's some good work being done here in milwaukee and i was proven right oh, that's fantastic now, how uh, cool was it before before we get Jed real yeah. quickly before we get to your second one? But to watch the Theater X veterans, uh, on th there was a Zoom uh, thing last Monday night, a reading by their successors, really Quasimondo Physical Theater in Milwaukee, and uh, and you had in the talkback afterwards John Kishline and John Schneider and Florence Coker um, and 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 Deb. You know, and Deb, it was just yeah. it was just it, it was it was just Awesome um, to to see that and to relive this huge moment in Milwaukee theater history. Yeah, so cool. Well, the second one on my list was a production that I actually saw on my honeymoon, um, which uh, my friends know was 25 years ago right about now, because my anniversary was last week. Um, we spent some time in England and in France. Okay. We saw right. several plays on our honeymoon. I have to say, well, we were in, we were in England, and how could we not? Um, but one of the things we went up to Stratford, of course, and we saw 
a couple of plays at the RSC, of course. And one of the pl- productions that was running there uh, at the time was uh, Taming of the Shrew, directed by the Australian director, Gail Edwards. And um, she had a great cast. Uh, Josie Lawrence and Michael Sibbery were her Kate and Petruchio. But what I really remember is that she absolutely transformed that play for me without undermining it at all. Um, The way she handled the framing device uh, of um, the scenes that usually get cut at the beginning and end of that play and used it to allow the actors to fully play all of Shakespeare's comedy and all the ribaldry and everything else but to also make it feel feminist and fresh and relatable, uh, it, it blew me away. And I, I've never forgotten it. It was a super colorful and fun production too. And I just loved that it was so entertaining and fun and managed to make a very modern and contemporary political point. And that's just, that's a hard balancing act. And frankly, also in 1995, I wasn't seeing a lot of women directors uh, being hired at that level. So that was cool too. It was really great production. Uh, well, Jen, you've just you've set me up perfectly because my third <laughs> of, of three uh, is also a Shakespeare and also an amazing revision of a play that I think, I guess with Shakespeare, you always think you know something better than you do. But I was really blown away that somebody could teach me something as new as I was taught by the Peter Sellers production of Midsummer Night's Dream um, that was done at Stratford in Ontario in 2014. Because that's a play we all think we understand really, really well. And what Sellers did, and it's very simple when you think about it, but of course, that's how genius works. They see things the rest of us don't, is he said, look, there's four layers in this play, right? You've got, you've got aristocrats, you've got fairies who represent our dreamscape, you've got the young love and sort of craziness inside of us that does crazy things, and then you've got the everyday going to work that you get from the mechanicals. And he's like, all four of those levels exist in all of us simultaneously at the same time. And so he took four characters, and without changing any of the words he did he did make cuts he gave us a 105 intermission free uh minute production in which each of the four characters played multiple parts where you saw thematically through those four levels in shakespeare's play some certain themes so for example one actor plays demetrius and bottom and theseus all characters with a wandering eye um You had another character who played Hippolyta, Helena, and Thisbe, all characters, you know, women who are sort of put upon or or dilted in some way. And he streamed all this together so fluidly and so beautifully that all of a sudden, I was just seeing stuff I, I had never seen. And Sellers being Sellers, also, you know, he's got guts. He, he set this up in a way where he played with sexual politics and also the intersection between racial and sexual politics in terms of how the black body gets framed and idealized by white people. And so my head was just, came, I went home in my theater journal that night and wrote like 20 pages. And I was just rereading it this morning. And it's, a lot of it's gibberish, but it certainly brought back to me the greatness of, of this production. Oh, jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> Julie, Julie, what's the third one in your yeah, journey? I have to go with one that um, I actually helped create. And I think anybody who was a part of the creation would feel the same way. I know that they do, actually. And it's a play called Skin Tight that I did at Red Theater Works. Um, it's a uh, um, play, Gary Henderson, um, who is... Uh, um, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm going to mess it up. He's either Australian or New Zealand, and I hate and I know that people hate that when you mix it up. 
but um, it was the American premiere. We were given the play. Everybody thought this is a this is a nice play. It's two people. There's some meaningful things, but there was there was a magic in tech. Oh, and I would also like to add, it was Laura Gordon's professional directorial debut um, with Braden Moran and Leah Dutchin. Jason Fassel did the um, lights. It, there was a collective at one point in tech that we all went, oh my God, where we all realized this is going to be something more than we had anticipated. And that happens rarely. It's what we always want to happen. Um, but it was, it was a shock to us all at how rich and beautiful that play was. And it still sticks with me. And there's a twist in it. Um, to, to listen to the audience subsequently get where the twist is and, and recognize it. And it happens at all different times. It, um, I've, I've said this um, once, I'll say it again. If we have this career and at the end of the day have five performances where we can say everything went the way it was supposed to go, and the audiences loved it, and it was it was exactly how we had um, how we wanted it to be, and um, was important to everyone who worked on it. If we've got five of those, we've had a good career. This is one of those. And Julie, mm. you were involved in both of the Renaissance productions, right? I was. I was. So that for me, talk about the ephemerality of theater. I sobbed my way through the first one, and I can distinctly remember an actress who I will not embarrass, you know, sitting down for me at a Sunday matinee the first time this was done by Renaissance, sobbing as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, and, and then 10 years later, Renaissance did an anniversary remount with the same actors. And I remember right. digging out my program and bringing it to Renaissance to show people like Julie what this program was, which captured for me beautifully in ways that tie in with the theme of this play, both what is lost and what has passed and how time moves on you and takes away things that you thought you had and are now gone. It was a brilliant, it was brilliant both times. I mean, I loved that production. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. I, I do too. I do too. It will stick with me forever. Gorgeous. Um, you know, when I was thinking about my third slot, the first uh, production that came into my mind was one I know I've already talked about on a past um, episode of this podcast, which was um, Pride's Crossing and Cherry Jones and how uh, momentous it was to watch her performance in that. And I realized that, that I had another similarly visceral memory from seeing a production during my New York years. And that was um, the original Broadway production of Angels in America Perestroika, the second half. Um, I mean, I saw both parts. I remember both. But Anybody who knows that play, the second half, knows Harper's night flight to San Francisco monologue, which I think might be one of the most beautiful contemporary monologues in um, the English language. And not only do I remember seeing um, Mary Louise Parker read that. No, it wasn't Mary Louise Parker. It was Marcia Gay Harden, the other three names. <laughs> Mary Louise Parker <laughs> did it in the film version. Oh, funny. Um, not only do I remember her doing it, but like I actually, I have a physical memory of what my seat felt like and what the angle of view down to the stage was from my seat up in the mezzanine. Like I, I actually, I don't just remember the emotions. I remember everything about my surroundings when I heard that speech for the first time. And it just 
transported me um, in a way that I had not felt before. So I think I'll, I'll make that my, my number three and most meaningful theater experiences. Um, gosh, it's awfully fun <laughs> listening to everybody share, not just what, what theirs are, but why. Um, I really do hope um, folks will use email or social media to, to share with us some of theirs. But before we wrap this episode up, um, I also thought we thought it would be fun to talk about what we have never been able to see on stage and really want to, um, you know, what's, what's your top three and those we can just kind of rattle through, but what, what's the top three plays you have not yet had a chance to see on stage that you really want to Mike Fisher? Uh, Serious Money by Carol Churchill, um, mm. which I mean, I'm on a Churchill jag right now. And this is, this is sort of like junk by Akhtar before junk um, and even broader. Um, Coast of Utopia, which I doubt I'll, I'll ever see because it's the three part um, Tom Stoppard, uh, uh, it's a three, three, it's nine hours of play, three <laughs> plays um, with 44 characters or sorry, 44 actors playing more than 70 uh, characters about Russian intellectuals in the 19th century. I'm not holding my breath. I'm going to get <laughs> to see that one. I'm really sorry I missed it when it was done in New York uh, 10 years ago. And then finally, and this one I do hope gets done in Wisconsin. Uh, Alice Birch has a play that just, it, it started in, uh, in England and it, it just closed before the pandemic shut things down, just got in an Atlantic theater called Anatomy of a Suicide. It's three plays involving three different women, grandmother, uh, her daughter, and then daughter's daughter, unfolding simultaneously about what it's like to be a mother, about what it's like when you have a, a sort of, not a suicide gene, but are having a hard time struggling with life. And the lines sort of unfold even on the page simultaneously. It's really hard to read. I think it would be, which is what I, all I've done, it would be easier to see. I really, really hope it gets done. Alice Birch is one of these great female playwrights, young female playwrights right now from Britain that we're just not seeing um, get done here. Um, and I, I dearly hope somebody picks this play up. It should be done in Wisconsin. Cool list. Julie, what's on yours? <laughs> I don't have as, um, as cool of a list, but here's what I was thinking. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing anything. Anything. <laughs> the Wednesday that the NFL closed its season, I was at a little jazz bar called Cafe Coda watching Sarah Strike doing a show um, by Erica Berman called When the Music Stops, the Anita O'Day Story. And it was this little, I was sitting at the bar. I am willing to go and sit at any bar, anything where I can set up a chair and somebody will perform in front of me. So it doesn't matter, you know, we're talking about big, beautiful productions. I don't care about big, beautiful productions. I want to see anything. Um, I'm also, and I, I don't know why this hits me so hard. It's ridiculous. Um, but over Christmas this year, I um, said to my son, one of my sons, that um, Wicked is coming to the overture, and I have never seen Wicked. And how can I be a theater person and not have, not have seen Wicked? And he got me tickets to see Wicked for Christmas, and it, it, and it, it, was, it was on that Thursday. My tickets were Friday, and that's the day that they canceled. So I really need to see Wicked at some point. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm bound and determined to see Wicked. And then I was going to say, um, a show that's happening in Chicago that my good friend Marty Goble is directing, and then I realized that it hasn't been announced yet. So I'm just going to say that. I'm just oh going to leave you at that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's sneaky, Julie Swenson. I love it. Um, well, my, my list is um, actually three scripts 
that we read at Forward Theater and for a whole variety of reasons decided that they weren't, um, weren't shows that we were going to or, or, or sometimes could do for varying reasons. And I don't need to get into all of the reasons why we let these three shows um, pass us by, but they are all three shows that I desperately would like to see somebody else do so that I can go and just be an audience member and enjoy them. Um, and so in no particular order, those three are The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity by Christopher Diaz, which I absolutely adore. And I'm sorry, I don't have the resources to produce that at my theater. I know. Love that show. I know. So great. Um, The Wolves by Sarah Delap, which um, it it was going to be produced here in Madison this spring by UW Theater, which is the perfect company to do it because it is for a whole bunch of young people. Um, That was their, their first production that fell victim to COVID. My goodness, I hope that they will bring it back in a future season because I just want to see that show so badly. And then finally, a play that I adored on the page and would adore, I'm confident, even more in the theater, but it's such inside baseball. I'm not convinced it would make good theater for people who don't work in the theater. And that's 10 out of 12 by Annie Baker, which is a play that is built around the experience of being in tech for a production and I, somebody I want to have do it so that I can see it. Um, so that was my list uh, as great. well. I that love is- how different our lists are, but how they <laughs> overlap so much in, in just our craving for good stories told together. Mm-hmm. Oh, was- I love all of those. Yeah, same. Absolutely. <laughs> Ugh, I love this. I love this. Um, and boy, that was just a robust uh, conversation. We crammed a lot in there. Um, so I think we will say that that is it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jenna Hoffray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Theater Forward. As always, that's theater with an E-R. And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in, and be sure to leave a stellar review. We're so grateful to have you listening. As I said, please share your own favorites with us. We'd love to hear those. And we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.